0: So, good morning. This is a PTV Podcast. This is Matt Crawford, and I'm the Managing Director at PTV, and I'm here with Bob DeSutter from Piper Jaffray to uh, talk about uh, the market and market trends and some of just the macro things that are going on out in the uh, marketplace. So, uh, I'll let Bob introduce himself, but uh, we've, just as a matter of background, uh, we've worked with Bob and his team for 15, 15 years now, roughly, and done many transactions with them uh, from taking companies public to M&A, to advisory services, to fundraising for portfolio companies. Really kind of run the spectrum with uh, Bob and his team, and they have a lot of experience, and it's uh, been a great great thing for our companies because they, they know how to operate in this space that we operate in. Uh, which is uh, companies t- tend to be uh, a billion or less, and um, this is a, a market niche that uh, Bob and his team have, have carved out. So with that, Bob, I'll just let you introduce yourself, and it's great sure. to have you.
1: Thank you. Thank you, Matt. So I'm Bob Sutter, Managing Director, Head uh, of Healthcare at Piper Jaffray, 24 years in the industry, um, all of them really doing healthcare uh, advisory mergers and acquisitions and public offerings,
0: and pleased to be here and pleased to... Have the relationship with PTV over the many years, right? So let's just start it off. We we thought we, what we do is uh, try to give you give everybody an overview on you know what are the trends in the market. Uh, so w- what are the sort of the big things that are happening? Whether it's medical device, diagnostics, biotech, you know, just sort of healthcare services. If you could kind of give us a run the gamut for us and give us some, a sense for Affordable Care Act stuff, whatever whatever comes to your mind.
1: Sure. So. Um, Healthcare, uh, I would say, segmented into uh, pre-revenue and revenue is how I really think of the industry. It's how the transactions and the activity is lined up. Primarily, um, on the public offering side, <clears throat> there uh, continues to be a pretty good bit for the biotech industry and and pursuit of event risk and the risk reward profile of event risk. We did an IPO yesterday that was up you know, 50, 60% on, on the initiation day. And, um, I would say, though, on the medical device side and the diagnostic side, just the opposite. It's been a very difficult public offering market. Um, there are reasons for that. Some of them uh, industry-oriented toward the medical device industry and the diagnostic industry as far as um, lack of, really lack of supply. Some of it um, being the fund flows in healthcare have been uh, anemic of late. So... Uh, the IPO market is mixed. Biotech remains reasonably good. The rest of the industry uh, fairly soft. On the M&A side, it's it's the opposite. It's very much um, the activity is in the established companies. Those with revenues, you know, twenty, thirty, hundred million dollars and above, and preferably those with cash flow. The strategic buyers are wanting to buy uh, cash EPS accretion, and so that's the
0: that's the car on the lot that they're that they're looking at. Has there ever since the uh, uh, the um, uh, passage of the Affordable Care Act, has there been more innovation, less innovation? Does has innovation had to change? Uh, what does that have to look like? In other words, with the with the I guess the cost constraints that are going on out there, what's happening in the marketplace right now, in your in your viewpoint? Uh,
1: I think it's a little early to tell if there's more or less innovation. I I believe in the last several years there's been um, a dearth of private funding for companies, which you know one manifestation is it's going to be less innovation. Regarding the uh, Health Care Reform Act, I'm not sure yet. There are certainly changes. Medtronic is driving a lot of changes as it pertains to melding services and, and devices. So there are definite changes in the wind. It's early, as in months to quarters, It was too early to call in that regard. The the biggest thing I see is that there's a lack of funding, a lack of startup funding, specifically in diagnostics. Also in uh, med tech, could be a biotech crowding out trade that's causing it, but um, inevitably that will uh, slow innovation.
0: So um, that's helpful. and we we are definitely seeing that. There's no question about it. There is a significant lack of funding for particularly early stage diagnostics, early stage med tech. It really is almost non-existent at this point, as you as you know. Um, very hard to find that money. So as these companies, as people think about, as entrepreneurs think about building a company, um, you know, and having success, um, not only just with their company, but also if they if they were to approach the capital markets. What are, is, are there four or five, maybe three, four or five things that are sort of, you've got to have these characteristics to be mm-hmm. successful? Um, and, and if there are, what, what would those What would those characteristics look like in your in your Yeah, I think uh, first of all,
1: the financial characteristics would obviously bigger market, higher growth, either evidenced in your revenue line or to be evidenced with the market opportunity. So that's a must. Um, I think the most differentiated is gross margin um, preferably well into the 80s if you really want to shoot shoot high it you know should approach 90 on a variable gross margin basis meaning an incremental basis I think that is really what drives fundamental value in the M&A trade and ultimately impacts the um, likelihood and timing of an exit Uh and so the and, and then one thing that you know takes a lot of money takes a lot of time is uh, IP, and we can use, when you can have just freedom to operate real true freedom to operate power with intellectual property. It's worth the kind of final investment to fence broadly around your IP so that you're set up for um, you know a
0: decade long run within a strategic buyer. Are there segments um, kind of getting a little bit more de- more focused on medical device, which is where we've been investing in to a certain degree diagnostics, but are there segments that you're seeing that are more attractive than others? so in other words, orthopedics would be more interesting than um, you know cardiac rhythm management or you know whatever the, whatever the case may be? Are there places that you're seeing strategics want to be more involved, want to be less involved? Are there places you would stay away from
1: the structural heart area remains very active and has played out now for many years. Uh, Ophthalmology, um, there's horse trading going on at the large strategic uh, activity but uh, ophthalmology remains a fantastic place to invest as far as uh, risk-reward, high ROI. Um, Cardiology is probably uh, taking a step back in the last decade Although always a very viable uh, exit opportunity for companies, but it's you know it's often a hundred million dollar investment mm-hmm. to to get to be acquirable, so it's a long way home. Yep. Um, I would say most any category that is PMA denominated, while it's high investment, uh, is usually uh, very very high ROI and provides good exits. So typical pot. It's ophthalmology, neurology, vascular. Yeah.
0: So you bring up the PMA market. Um, talk about the evolution of, you've been in this business a long time, and you there were exits probably earlier in your career that were more 510K denominated, and then now they're more PMA, PMA denominated. Talk about that evolution of the marketplace and the sophistication of the buyers, um, you know, as we've progressed, and the market's gotten more mature over over the last twenty-some odd years.
1: Yeah, uh, it's been impactful. We gave lip service early in my career, frankly, buyers and sellers to the differentiation between 510K and PMA, um, and then around, I would say, coming out of the recession, it was pretty discernible that reimbursement diligence and the durability of average selling prices and just everything that goes around to the payment of devices, uh, strategic buyers pivoted from 510k to PMA in a very, very big way, where now the vast majority of transactions are, are PMA-oriented, and or at least some precedent of PMA. So while that may be a contradiction to the earlier point about there doesn't seem to be enough private money to fund these companies... Um, those PMA companies, one of which we transacted earlier in the year in Onyx with Hughes, um, you know, they're very, very valuable and high scarcity value. Um, PMA multiples, um, 75% higher than 510K multiples. And just the whole arena is, uh, you know, uh, very, much more active than
0: 510K. The, uh, that's helpful because I think, uh, so often people believe that, um, you know, if you just get something approved by the FDA, that whatever it is, five ten K, that that's going to be enough. Typically, I agree with you. We have seen that that's not necessarily enough, and you have to you have to not only create your IP, your picket fence that you described, but also this um, this PMA that tends to carry higher gross margins that you're describing. Um, are the is the, in my opinion, a, you know, very much a key to success. Uh, what well,
1: the high gross margin margins isn't just for exit sake, it's also that it sets up a PL that can afford a direct sales force. So it drives enough monetary, you know, in the formula to hire a direct sales force, which is a whole nother discussion. Yeah. Um, but that's been a winning ticket as well to control your destiny. So it's not just uh high margin for margin sake, but rather what it
0: funds in your business model. So you bring up a good point, which is you know maybe a, uh, just some advice to entrepreneurs that are thinking about starting their company and starting their business, and um, you know you talk about a direct sales force, and, and, and sometimes when people talk about direct sales forces, that makes them very nervous. That's a very expensive proposition. Um, <clears throat> there are sometimes you don't hire the right people at the first first go around, and you've got to completely re reorganize and people and rehire people and it's a it's a very it can be a churning exercise but are there things that entrepreneurs should be thinking about to to make to give themselves the best chance to unlock the most value whether it's a direct sales force um, you know it's uh, how to position themselves uh, you know in the marketplace with with strategics you know what would what would you what, what are the what are the things that you've seen that uh, yeah. So
1: I Mistakes too, by the way. Yeah, one of the things I've learned, and this has evolved, is, and I run a P&L too, so I understand the <laughs> okay. um, pressure points. Uh, but at the start, I, I, I think CEOs need to position their company and think about their company in terms of thir- how I get to 30, 40, 50 million of revenue. Because that's where the alternative.
0: That's where the alternatives are presented in the form of go public. So it starts to feel real to not only the the strategics, but it starts to feel real to the uh, the IPO market. Correct. And I think too many CEOs,
1: and I understand how this happens, manage their company to, frankly, the weakest syndicate member in the venture syndicate, and they manage their company, I don't want to say hand-to-mouth, but they manage their company to cash flow or like, well we're going to fund to cash flow. Well, you know that's relevant. I understand money doesn't grow on trees and everyone doesn't want to keep writing checks to fund companies. However, that fund to cash flow is completely irrelevant to the value creation equation and the ultimate event set of alternatives. So I like to have, just put a marker down and say, tell me how we're going to get to $40 million and we'll figure out the cash flow needs along the way. And again, that may... That may not be copacetic to the weakest syndicate member in the in the venture group, mm-hmm. but it will be to the whole the best outcome mm-hmm. and There's just too much talk about how do I get to the break even rather than how do I get to a position where i'm you know um,
0: it, have have alternatives, yeah. So, um you talk about high gross margins, and I and, and you can see that more readily in the medtech space, particularly pMA medtech space. Talk about the diagnostic space a little bit. <clears throat> um, those typically don 't carry as high a margin um, in general the The multiples typically are a little bit more compressed. Um, do you do you see anything changing there, or is is that or is that is that an accurate description of the marketplace? And what can what can the entrepreneurs in that space do differently?
1: Well, I think there's a the diagnostics <clears throat> business has had a little bit lower margin because they've they've had a little bit of a mixed business of uh, historically labby versus uh, full product approval, and so it's those that have just a classic. Approval and reagents business carry seventy-five, eighty percent gross margins. The issue with that is has been, you know, it's been hard to get those business powered to fifty or hundred million dollars. It just, not very many. yeah, not very many. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, just for scale and oomph, companies have had to, you know, bring in other business models along the way that's diluted the gross margins. So, I, I think that the pure classic diagnostics, in the sense some of which you've been involved in and are currently involved in, very much have, will have that margin profile and, frankly, will have every bit the exit multiple of the med tech industry we talked about, in part due to scarcity value.
0: Yeah. Well, um, I think we're kind of nearing the end here, but uh, we'll just, just one last, one one um, final question, just uh, just to kind of summarize, talk, talk a little bit about what you see in the future. Um, what Where you think uh, strategics what what they're thinking about um, uh, things that may you see on the horizon that are maybe challenges or opportunities for for people? Uh, yeah. What What do you what do you see out there?
1: Well, it's quickly become a a scale game. I mean, when when we talk to Medtronic and Abbott, J and J, etc. You know, they're now. Over a hundred billion dollar market caps, or soon to be hundred billion dollar market caps plus, and so add-ons to them are no longer the hundred and fifty million dollar deal, where the still the prevalence of the data is a hundred and fifty to two hundred million dollar deal size is the median in medtech. I mean, an add-on for them now is three, four, five, six billion, and so scale is changing a lot. And in it's so not to say that they
0: won't do a hundred million dollar deals it's to say they don't wake up thinking about it yeah so the 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 old days of selling your um, 50 million dollar top line company uh, at a six times multiple for 300 million yeah it, it may it, you may have a great company you may have all the things you're talking about but they may not care Right is what you're saying.
1: Correct. They're likely not. They're likely to care less going forward, given they either have filled it in through a mega merger and deem it redundant, or it just doesn't move the needle and isn't worth, frankly, worth their their uh, capital. Um, And so that uh, brings us full circle to almost like 1991 when Medtronic and St. Jude and all these companies. We're just getting going, and they had to start our valuations of a few billion dollars. And so mm-hmm. I think the venture industry is going to bifurcate and require you to build companies through mergers to get to that scale.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, um, that is a very, I think that's a great thought to end on because I the market has changed so much when, you know, just really 10 years ago, you could realistically, I believe, take a one product company, yeah. get it to 30, 40, 50 million and have a reasonable expectation of an exit, you know, a nice multiple on your exit. Now, I think you're gonna to have to rely on those um, smaller market cap buyers to, to fill that, that niche, that gap. But also, as, as entrepreneurs and investors, I think you've got to layer on more capabilities, more products, more, more growth opportunities. So instead of having the one product, you've gotta maybe have a suite of products uh, that we 've seen, and so that 's a very helpful perspective because and you 're going to be taking stock more some
1: more stock than just you know a cash trade straight cash trade interesting, which has its own dynamics
0: yeah and uh, i think so actually i was going I was going to conclude it with the last question, <laughs> but you bring up a great point which is which is the stock trade, which is the trading stock for um, uh, you know for value in in your company and uh can you describe that a little bit and what the what the what the company looks like, what the companies look like that are doing that?
1: Yeah, so um it's still it's still the transaction of second choice right. for the venture capitalists and probably will remain so mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's quickly becoming a competitive competing transaction when for for the reasons we talked about earlier. So it's simply a um Discussion around uh, usually there's, uh, it's not often all stock, it's usually some cash, some stock. It's enough cash to uh, placate the selling board and give, you know, uh, cash back to to investors and, and roll, roll the upside, if you will, or yep. some combination of, 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 you know, cash and stock, usually around 50 50.
0: Well, Bob, I really appreciate you coming and. Uh uh, that concludes the talk, so thank you. Thank you.